Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome into the latest edition of... The Sick Podcast with Jeff Vogel. I'm John Vogel. And Mark Jarvis, Justin Gann will be joining me here in just a second. But first off, we got a good discussion that we've been kind of talking about in our group text last couple of days about information inside and outside of the building and then checklists NFL teams put together. So just some more stuff for more food for thought, I think. Next week, going to have a special guest joining us a 2024 NFL prospect. We'll talk more about that later, probably towards the end of the episode. But Shane, back in the studio. Let's hit it. Turn up your volume. Because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast. With Draft Vogel. With the first pick in the 2021 NFL Draft. The first pick. In the 2022 NFL Draft, with the first pick in the 2023 NFL Draft, the sickest NFL Draft show. It's gonna be sick. Sick, sick, sick. And first, we talk about first, like all the selections, right? You got the NFL Draft, and you got 256 guys that are gonna get drafted, depending on the year. That number varies. Sometimes 261, 258, whatever. But the first overall pick is always a big deal. And I think that you need to make sure that you pick properly the sports book that you're going to bet with because this episode is presented by DraftKings. The NFL season is going strong, and the DraftKings Sportsbook is hooking up new customers with an offer that's even stronger. Bet 5 bucks on any game this week to score $200 instantly in bonus bets. And DraftKings isn't stopping there. All customers could take advantage of a sweetener offer every game day this December. Get in on the game day great list. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code Six Sports. New customers can score two hundred dollars instantly by downloading this and using the code Six Sports. Let's bring the guys in: Mark Jarvis, Justin Gamble, uh, the co-host of this show. Now, second week, Mark is with us, and Justin regular for now for a while. Guys, how are we doing tonight? Doing good. <laughs> Full of energy, buddy. On about three <laughs> hours of sleep, crushing it. Just doing our best here. Pounding the coffee. I see you are too. You're uh, you're sleeping. You're sleeping. I'm doing what? I said I'm gonna. Yeah, I'm I think on. we all pound the coffee here. I said I'm you're on sleeping. About three hours of sleep. I'm on about three hours. So. Well, I'm saying I'm I'm suggesting as that you know you're actually sleeping. Oh, you're... you're getting some sleep. <laughs> yeah, about you know two and a half, three a night. <laughs> 
in between uh, crushing the tape and stuff. I, I was just you know insinuating that. Yeah, I know. You know, there's it's tape, and you know, there's this is that time transfer portal and everything yeah. else going on right now. Oh, it is. It's absolutely nuts. It's absolutely nuts. Um, no, we, we Jarvis, you brought up something that you wanted to bring up and on the podcast that I thought was a. At first, Justin and I we dismissed it immediately <laughs> um, until you started to kind of explain it a little bit more, and then we were kind of like, okay, maybe this isn't such a bad idea. So, uh, you want to go ahead and start us off and get us in the primer. I think there's well, Justin, the best person do you wanna, to, to start off. Do you want to explain the Mariota Hurts comment and why you kind of I brought it up and you kind of shot it down? Do you want to explain your thoughts on that? Well, what went down. Well, you know what? I mean, I only I, I shot it down just because I didn't realize what it would lead to, like the bigger picture and what it what it meant we could really talk about. But it was, you know, you asked if we wanted to talk about David Carr's comments about how Mariota should start over Jalen Hurts for the Eagles and that he would be more productive. And you said in the group chat, do you want to talk about that? And I said, no, because <laughs> I was like, I don't even know how to argue <laughs> the other side. But then you, you came back with um, kind of like a topic slash question that applies to, I guess, current NFL teams. It applies to teams looking to draft players, but it was, uh, I'm going to phrase this wrong crap. What do teams know? What what What's going on in their building that they know that obviously we don't know? Is that what the question was? Is, am I doing it right? Yeah, it was essentially um, viewing things from the standpoint of like, if a team does something, what information do they have that you don't? Right. Um, and so the thought that came to my mind was a couple years ago when it was JT Daniels and Stetson Bennett at Georgia. And JT Daniels was still considered like this tradesy prospect who like, oh, he had a great freshman year at USC and he's getting all of this hype. There are a lot of people saying like, why is Georgia starting Stetson Bennett? And uh, I thought it was interesting from the aspect of like, I know a lot of people were really hounding them on that, but it ended up being, at least from our perspective, the right decision to continue to start Stetson Bennett and to, they, you know, they won two national championships with them. So I think just the general idea of like, if a team does something, Again, what information do they have that you don't? And kind of how do you value that from the, the outside perspective, accepting and kind of realizing what you don't know about what's going on inside their building? Right. The reason why this is such a good topic to start to discuss is because we see it, especially in draft media, see it on social media, anything. But with a lot of draft analysts, there's always a lot of criticisms that come with, watching the games and people always sort of thinking, well, this guy's better because I watched him in the spring game and blah, 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 blah. Um, there are certain, there's definitely certain times when we see that teams make the wrong mistake, the wrong decision. But in the grand scheme of things, I would say it's like 95%. They're going to make the, they're going to play the right guy. You know, they're going to start the right guy and there is, it's all going to be okay. You know, like, uh, it's very rare that you see them making the wrong decision on who's playing. Um, so I that's why I thought this would be something really good to get into because it's easy as us watching the tape, watching you know the limited you know amount of information that we have to watch to you know to observe and, and scout these guys and look at different things and understand the team sees them every day at practice the team you know, works with them and sees them walking in the facilities. There's a whole lot more to it than just what we see on game day. 
Um, a great example I could use is from this high school season that I just wrapped up here in Tennessee. We had a sophomore corner, and he had to play because of an injury. And if you had gone strictly off of the tape uh, that you had watched his first three, four games, you would think that he was a lockdown, shutdown corner because when they would try him, and it was usually later in the game because they didn't know much about him, he'd, he'd make a play on the ball. And it looked like, you know, if you went, if you were going by the tape, he's an amazing corner. We, we got this guy that's been sitting there forever. Where's he been? But if you'd seen him at practice every day, you'd seen that he couldn't defend a post. He couldn't defend a go. And if you ran either one of those two on him, he was toast. But nobody knew that. So, you know, that's that's kind of the thing is like we're only seeing a part of the picture. And that's why I wanted to make sure that this got discussed today. Right, right, right. And I, I mean, the biggest part of it is like when and we, we do see it all the time, like draft media, media in general, actually just criticizes everything teams do. I mean, from top to bottom and like for David Carr to go on the record. I mean, I don't know if he's just trolling at this point. I don't know. Like, cause it's crazy. Like, first off, to say that Mariota, who, I mean, let's just be real. The guy, he's a washed up journeyman veteran. He's been everywhere. It, it's just, we know what he is. Washed up may be harsh. He's not a starter caliber cornerback, quarterback in this league. He's been everywhere. Then you're, you're comparing him to Jalen Hurts, who went to a Super Bowl last year, balled out in the Super Bowl. We've seen the way he's improved over his career. We've seen what kind of leader he is, what kind of teammate he is. He like rep I mean, he represents the city of Philadelphia right now. Like that guy is everything. So now what David Carr is suggesting is let's just completely F up the locker room. Cause I mean, let's you bench Jalen for a guy that's unproven or that's proven to be not good. What would that do to the player morale, the locker room? I, uh, the other coaches surely wouldn't be a fan of it. So for him to go to say something like that, that doesn't even require insider information. That doesn't even require you being in the building. That's just ignorant. And that's just craziness. But it also made me think, like, let's just pretend we don't know. Like, it's not as simple as this situation. It's often probably a lot more complex. But I think it does boil down to, yeah, the teams see these players practice every single day. They see how they interact with their teammates every single day, how they lead. A lot of it could just come down to like, this guy's an asshole and this guy's not. And we're not going to give him a, a shot. Uh, Deuce Staley hated DeAndre Swift when he was at the, the Lions. And then they drafted Gibbs, traded Swift. We weren't there. We don't know who was who and what each other's issues were. Like, we don't know what Swift, all we know is Swift is super, super talented. He's proved that in Philadelphia now. But we don't know what was going on in that building. And so, I mean, I was even critical. Like, can you play your best running back? But it's like, yeah, I don't know what's going on there. I don't know if Swift is reacting negatively to something or vice versa. So there's just a lot of nuance that goes into it as opposed to, hey, this guy's more athletic than this guy. It's, I mean, we say this all the time. Like, it's not Madden. These are humans. So it's not just a matter of like comparing ratings. This guy's an 85. This guy's an 89. Put him in. It's, it's a lot of the human element. And it sucks for us because we speculate so much and just pretend like, we would make the right choice, but we don't really know what that right choice is because we're just never, ever there. And I mean, yeah. we about J sorry, real quick. We talked about Justin Fields last week and how that offense is hilariously different every single week. And I see a lot of Bears fans like, why won't you do this? Why won't you do this? Why won't you run this with him, with this with him? Why won't you call a different game plan? Hey, man, 
Getsy and, and Eberflus have to see him practice every single day. So when they come out and throw 17 screens in the first half, I don't think they're doing it because they're stupid. I think they're doing it because they just straight up do not trust this guy. They've seen him practice for three, four years, and they're not really sure if he can process the field or run a, a game plan. I There's so much more to it, but I think the benefit of the doubt usually has to go to the coaches and the people that are around these players all, all the time. You know what I mean? Whether like it or not, but I just think a lot of times we're not quick to accept that or you know open to accept it. Yeah, and I think the thing that really popped to me was this idea of like, for instance, with Mariota and Hertz. Like the concern that Carr had was, hey, Hertz isn't hundred percent. Maybe you kind of rest him up. You, you know, you're kind of in the lead for the conference. Like, go ahead and just. But the question I always come to is, if it's that's the right decision, why haven't they done it? Right? Like they have more information than anyone on the outside. They have more information than David Carr. They're with Hertz every day in the building. Like, if that was the right decision, why haven't they done it at that point? So that's the question I always come back to with something like that, whether it's like not benching sets and benefit for JT Daniels or anything along those lines. Like you said, it's not that they're stupid, right? Like, it's not like, oh, you just, you know, oh, you go out there and throw 17 screens with Justin Fields. You must just, you know, not know how to use them. It's like they're probably seeing things that we don't have access to that hidden information, and that's why they're doing that. The only reason that we're having this conversation about Jalen Hurts, too, and, you know, potentially, like, I think the only reason this comes up is because they just lost 42 to 19 to the 49ers. I think that's literally the only reason that we're having this. And so that's the other thing that's funny about the whole thing is it's very difficult to beat a good team twice. It's even harder to beat a great team twice. There's no doubt Philadelphia's a great team. And I'm not saying this because I got the Eagles thing hanging up over me. I'm saying it because they're a great team. And, uh, you know, I, I if I'm going to lose to the 49ers, I'd much rather lose to them, figure out how I lose to them in the regular season right. as opposed to in the playoffs. And I think everybody in Philadelphia feels the same way right now. Yeah. The advantage is always to the team that won or that lost. It always is. In any sport I've ever played my entire life, I'd rather lose. And, you know, because when, when you win, it's hard to figure out, well, what could we do better? Like, we did it. We did it better. It's like a boxer. You throw a punch. Now you have to understand how they're going to counter that punch, but then your opponent's going to counter that punch. But now you have to look forward and say, I need to counter my own moves because he's going to react this way and come back at me a certain way. So now I need to counter what he thinks I'm going to do. And then it gets kind of that paralysis by over analysis thing where it's easier to just lose straight up and be like, we're going to fix that, that, and that. You know what I mean? And yeah, I think you're right. I, 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 San Francisco is a lot better than Philly, I think. But I think Philly has that advantage of like, if we see you again, we kind of know some things that you don't know. They're better, John. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, John. I'm going to disagree with that statement. Not because I'm an Eagles fan. Not because I love Jalen Hurts. But just because we know, I think we know too much about Kyle Shanahan at this point. So, Uh, yeah. Yeah. It'll be a good rematch. I'll they're say. not bit. They're not better. Not as long. Not as long as Kyle Shanahan's leading them. They're not better. <laughs> It'll be a good rematch. That's for sure. Anyways, do you guys got anything else that you wanted to add on that point? My brain went blank, but I feel like I had something. Mark, <laughs> I was like, oh, uh, I think we're in the same boat on brain going blank. Other than like, like I said, the aspect of okay. just, I always try to play that game of. 
what information is in someone else's head. And we could kind of segue this into like the team check boxes of like teams versus media. Cause I think very much a lot of media people view it from the perspective, like what did I see? Like I watched, let's right. say three, four games on a guy. What's my opinion? Where does he stack on my own personal board rather than let me get into the head of these different teams and try to figure out how they're going to view it. And so, like I said, I always love playing that game of like, if I try to take that outside perspective, where do I end up going with, with my line of thinking? Well, yeah, I mean, I guess, oh, that's what I was thinking earlier. Sorry. This does apply not only to like NFL teams, but to the draft as well. We see it every year. I mean, and this is going to segue also into what we are going to talk about next. But as far as like, what do teams in the build, what do they know in the building that we don't know on the outside? When, when a team drafts a player, like, I don't think the media or a lot of guys realize they're sending scouts nationwide all year to practices, to meet coaches, to meet teammates, to meet family, to meet friends, everything. So when you see a guy drop, it's not like, oh, they got to steal. Like these teams passed them up. How dare? No, bro. There's so much. Like they know stuff that we don't. I remember Dalvin Cook's year. Uh, I, f- I was working with Draft Bible and Rick Saratella at the time. Rick Saratella is so hooked up to a lot of people. I mean, he's been in the industry forever. He knows a ton of people. He knew Dalvin Cook's agent. We found out a lot of stuff about Dalvin Cook ahead of the draft, um, about who he was hanging around with, his habits, all this crazy stuff. And it's like, okay, the talent is first round. The head on this kid's shoulders appear to be first round. He seems like he's got his act together. He knows what he wants to do. He knows his priorities. But there's just too much that these that the, the teams that dug into him knew. And so it's just that it's that weighing that risk reward of, okay, the media won't understand it. And we can't and the teams aren't gonna publicly blast all this information about the red flags with this kid. So he's gonna drop and everyone's gonna criticize, everyone's gonna act like all, you know, every team made a mistake, or anyone who leaks a little info is an idiot. You know, like it happened with Jalen Carter. Anyone who thought they knew anything was like you're how dare you and it comes out you know this guy was in a high-speed car crash blah blah blah. there's more to it but with dalvin cook it was like some of the things i heard i'm like that's that's outrageous and the teams will know that and it'll never get out and sure enough he drops to the second round but it's just that that like like we're talking about there's so much more that goes into drafting a player or playing an NFL player than we will ever know unless we find, you know, unless we know, but that's the thing. It's like a lot of times you don't know what you don't know. So you're just kind of on the outside, like, yeah, <laughs> I'll take what I can get. And after that, who knows? And like medical, same way they go to the comp, these players go to the combine or they have, you know, injuries during the year that don't really come out. And so we hear like, Oh, this guy has a red flag medically. And it's like, well, I saw him play all year. He played on a torn ACL. You know what I mean? Like now a team's not going to draft him in the first or second round when he's got a torn ACL. Like there's a lot more that he's going to have to have surgery or he's going to have to sit up. So, I mean, I, I don't know. It's it's definitely hard to be silent and just kind of let the the chips fall where they where they fall. But it's 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 necessary to make yourself less crazy throughout the year. Yeah, there's two things I would throw in here. And, and t- looking at my notes, there's a thing I threw down called kill criteria, which is essentially like if you were to view like let's say a guy has a really, really bad medical or he's got some really, really bad off the field stuff. Some teams are just going to take him off the board entirely. You're not going to see media guys just pulling a guy off the board, right? Like right. even if he's got baggage that is really, really bad, it's so, okay, well, we'll just push him down to sixth, seventh round, so on and so <laughs> forth. It's not like he just gone, gone, you know? Uh, versus for teams, that's how they treat it. They're not going to spend that type of money and invest anything in a guy who has severe issues. And number two, um, 
again, along those lines of like people from the media perspective, see these guys falling, go, Oh, it's such a great hit and this and that. Again, it goes back to why would teams let them fall if, the, if it's that great value, right? There's a, a comic out there I saw a while ago and it was like, if all it's like all your friends jump off the bridge, essentially like it might be rational for you to do the same thing because did all your friends suddenly go crazy or is the bridge on fire? Like if everyone's <laughs> jumping off the bridge, what's more likely? Right. Uh, do you think what's, you know, Oh, the people who stayed at the bridge, something great happened to them. Like, no, it's like, okay, everyone who jumped lived and everyone who stayed died. Um, but I think it goes to that same thing. So if you want, we can get into those check boxes that you want to talk. Yeah. About. Yeah. Damn. Jenny. So yeah, we wanted to talk about NFL checklists and how, Every team has them, uh, usually position-dependent. Uh, background is usually one, but Justin, you wanted to take the lead on this. so I mean, I guess so. Uh, sorry, my brain. I feel like I'm just catching up with life today. Uh, so this kind of goes with what we just talked about, and it's partially like what, what teams know that we'll never know. But it's also, uh, we see it every year where it's like, Media scouts a lot of times have like these players they fall in love with and, you know, they're so high on and I would take him first round. You have, you can't let him drop, blah, 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 blah. Okay. What I've learned harshly throughout the, you know, throughout the years being in this industry, looking like a fool many times, feeling like an idiot many times is NFL teams do far more thorough research on these players and they also have far more that goes into drafting them. And it's a matter of they need production. Some teams need a certain position to have these measurables or or not at all. Or you're, you know, you're not on our board. Have to have them start a certain amount of years. Have to have them have certified testing, whether that be pro day or combine. Uh, I heard one team that wanted combine players only. They didn't trust pro day numbers. Even when they sent their guys out there, they said it meant less to them than the combine. Um, off-field stuff has to be perfectly clean, you know, squeaky clean. They need multiple years of production. And like the, so teams have basically what we, we, you know, what we were talking about earlier. They have checklists where we have nine boxes. These guys have to check seven of these nine or whatever, and it goes into their overall grade. And it's not always about just having the elite talent. It, uh, I forget what show it was on ESPN or NFL Network or something. It was like two or three years ago. But I remember they went inside the war room of an actual team. I forget what team it was. But they were showing for each player they had that they had evaluated, they had like cards on the board. And they had color-coded cards on uh, certain like, like the checklist had certain colors on them and they needed to meet certain criteria. But it was like some guys, like I, I, I wish I remembered now, but it was like there were some guys on there that were the same position and they had like negatives on it and it said like you know words next to it, like production or this like one game or something only and it's like that's how thorough these guys get where they need to have everything lined up perfectly and it goes into this overall overarching grade and that is how they really stack these guys up and so the smallest thing can kind of derail a player's grade um i remember bill parcells he has the quarterback checklist right he has four things a quarterback had to have. He had to be a senior. He had to be a graduate. He had to have 23 wins and something else. All I know is <laughs> Patrick Mahomes. Do you guys know how many wins he had his junior year when he declared for the draft? I'm going to guess like 10. 
He had five. Patrick Ooh. Mahomes, the year that he had – oh, and Bill, Bill Parcells has to have you be a three-year starter. Well, guess what? Patrick Mahomes, two-year starter. He won nothing. His junior year where he declared he won five games, was not bowl eligible, and so he would be off an, an entire team's list now because he didn't fit wait, their criteria. Wait, 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 wait. So if he's a two-year starter and he won five games – Five games his junior year. His junior year. Yeah. How many did he win his sophomore year? I don't remember that. He won. I want to say it was like five. Let me see. Because Texas Tech was always that middling five and five and seven, six and six team. So Mahomes' sophomore year, he won seven games. Then he regressed and won five his junior year. Which wasn't obviously all on Patrick, but. Right, but that's. The point is, like, Parcells would have said, nah, we can't take this guy. No way. He didn't win. He wasn't a three-year starter. He didn't graduate, and he didn't win. So as, soup, as stupid as that might sound and as silly as that might sound to some people and a lot of media scouts, that's the reality of some NFL teams. I don't think a lot of them operate with this system, and they're not that archaic. But I've talked to a lot of scouts at combines and events, and I'm like, that's crazy. I The Buda Baker year? I wrote an article about it. Buda Baker uh, was a second-round pick out of mm-hmm. Washington, right? One of the best safeties in our game right now. I talked to a scout, and I can't—I won't name what team he was from, and he said we would never draft Buda Baker ever in a million years. He's not big enough for us. He simply does not fit our size, our height, weight thresholds. Um, and they said we for a guy that's going to play in our back end, he has to be much bigger. He has to be like 15 pounds bigger, and he's got to be at least three inches taller. And I'm like, that's got to be Seattle. It was not Seattle. <laughs> it was not Seattle, actually. But I'm like, dude, that's crazy. Like, he's not even on their board. Like, they, they well, I don't know. I don't know if he ended up on their board or not. But all I know is, like, he's not a guy they would consider drafting where most people would have drafted him. And so that's, you know, the reality of it is these teams have these lists. And if you don't fit certain things, you don't fit certain things and you're done. I was going to say maybe they'd consider him as like a special teams guy, but if they're that harsh about their the size of their safeties, they probably are harsh about the size of their special teams guys too. So right, he probably right, doesn't right. have a home at all there. That's well, what I, I know, think. Uh, me- no, go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I know some teams do this thing where they have a a fall point, and it's like if this player falls to this point, we'll take him. Right. So like, let's say the media has this guy all first round, whatever, whatever. This team will say he not for us. But they'll say past pick 79 or something or past this certain point, yeah, we'll, we'll grab him. We'll grab him. And it's worth the value to us at that point. But before that, he is not someone that we would spend that high of a pick on. So, you know, every year we hear like, oh, this guy was a crazy steal, blah, you know, whatever, whatever. Will Levis just last year went in the second round. I don't know much about what happened there. I don't know what teams John probably has far more of, you know, you know, is it ear to the ground with this kind of thing. I don't know what happened, but now we already hear like he was a steal. And I'm like, first off, it's too early. Second, I don't know what teams found out about Will. I don't know much, but I just know like eh, it happened for a reason, you know. With Levis specifically. I was waiting. No, (laughs) with Levis specifically, it was, uh, there were a couple things. And number one was he was just arrogant at times. Um, very arrogant during interviews, just thought they, they were a little bit worried about that. The other thing with him was um, when I was at the Music City Bowl and I was talking to scouts there, the the question was, why is he not playing? 
And, you know, I think that there's two different schools of thought, two main schools of thought in the NFL right now. And what I found is that it's evenly divided between the younger and the older scouts. It's about the difference is probably about 15 years. Um, the younger scouts all think that it's smart to sit out a bowl game. Don't want you getting hurt, blah, blah, blah. The older scouts think that you got to, you, you got to play. Got to put up for your team. And well, yeah, exactly. And, but, yeah. but it was a good question when you've got, you know, this, a situation where a quarterback speaking arrogantly, holding himself up to this, this threshold saying that he's there and you're not sure about that. And then on top of that, he's, while he's doing all this, he's not going to play his bowl game. I think all those things sort of combined uh, because there were guys that I was talking to, you know, at the combine and the younger scout generation was talking about, oh, yeah, he's going to go top five. Yeah, he's going to be a top five pick. Well, I think a lot of people. And then there were other it. guys like the older guys that I was talking to that were saying. Third, fourth round pick, you know, so I think that's where they kind of met in the middle based on everything that happened. Um, but yeah, he had some arrogance and, and that's another big thing too, with temperament, you know, I think the temperament and how you're going to fit in the locker room. That's another thing that's on a lot of these checklists. Yeah. Uh, you want to bring in the right guy. You don't want to bring in somebody who's going to throw off everything. You got chemistry that you're trying to build. And that's a huge part of team building is how well does everybody get along? Carson Wentz had a lot of great talent. You know, but the way that it was described to me about him, if you weren't a Christian and you didn't like hunting, he didn't know how to connect with you. I can see that. Yeah. That's crazy. That's crazy remember, when you think I, about it. Because I remember this at the is combine, the leader of your team. I remember the combine, he was talking about his Bible study in one of the interviews. They were like, What do you like to do on Friday nights? He's like, I lead a Bible study, and that's all I do. I'm like, That's cool, but you know, yeah, you're gonna be in a diverse locker room with a lot of people from different backgrounds. I mean, you might have to expand on that, buddy. Like some things might have to change, go bowling or something. But he did feel like that type of guy who might be a little kind of one track and couldn't really expand out. But yeah, I mean, that's it. What it's like that scene from us, uh, step brothers when Seth Rogan is interviewing both for that, like, uh, work at the sporting goods store. And he's like, to be real, he's like, I'm just looking for two dudes to hang out with eight hours a day. He's like, you're not weird. Right. And they're like, no. And then he farts and he's like, I don't know about that. And then they don't get the job. But that's really what it boils down to is like you're interviewing these players. Like, are you normal? Can you just hang out for, you know, like, can you fit the locker room? We obviously know you're talented. We know you're going to be drafted. But I think a lot of it has to come down to that human element. Like, can you just can you fit what we do here? And like we see with Dan Campbell, dra you know, they drafted Jack Campbell, um, which a lot of people thought was a reach, myself included, but I'm like, ah, that's the most culture pick I've ever seen in my life. Aiden Hutchinson, same thing. I feel like he was overdrafted. Some people do, some people don't. But either way, you're like, but these guys fit Dan Campbell. They fit the Lions. They fit the locker room. They fit the culture. They'll never quit. That coaching staff will never question these guys' love for football or their work ethic. You know what I mean? And I think that's a big part of it too, just fitting people who want to do what you want to do and see that big picture. So... I mean, yeah, a lot of times I feel like people are overdrafted or underdrafted, but that probably comes into play is they're fit as human beings too. John? 
He made a, I, I see you made John a face. Was, <laughs> I was wondering if John was going to take it there. Um, a couple of things I would throw out, um, and one would be going back to the aspect of checklist, right? It's like, what's the purpose of anything on that checklist? Like, for instance, I pulled up the, that Parcells checklist. And so, like, the rules being he must be a senior because you need time and maturity to develop into a good professional quarterback. He must be a graduate because you want someone who takes his responsibility seriously. Um, and it, just going through that list, you look at it and you go, okay, why does that not apply today? Right? Like it's an outdated checklist, to be honest. I think both you guys would probably agree with that, that it's like, you just, you're not going to find, okay, he's a senior graduate, three-year starter, 23 wins. Usually guys that are highly, highly talented just declare as a junior. That's just the way the market is right now. And so what doesn't fit going forward with that? Uh, I know a guy we're going to talk about here, uh, Xavier Leggett, you wanted to talk about Gam, and you want to talk about, okay, he's on the older side, right? Some teams are sticklers about older prospects, but you look at, for instance, the fact that this is a COVID year class, how does that impact how we view the age of players? Are teams more you know, accepting with that? Or I think that's what makes it interesting is the dynamic of like what, the value of each point of a checklist is changes each year as the league evolves and new things kind of come into the system. Right. And with Leggett specifically, it's going to be, I think my, my question, like if I'm a GM or if I'm a scout, I'm going into that building and I'm going to ask how in the world did a height, weight, speed freak like this guy, how did he have so he's a fifth year at South Carolina for everybody that doesn't. He's a fifth year player at South Carolina. His freshman year, he had 80 yards. His sophomore year, 113. Junior, 63. Uh, senior, 167. That's yardage per year, right? That's an entire season. This year, he's got 71 catches for 1,255 yards and seven touchdowns. What in the world happened? Right. But we see every week we're like, dude, this. Yeah, I mean, if you knew nothing going in, nothing about his backstory, anything, his age, you just watch the film and say, this guy is an elite prospect. Like, that's a fast man. That's a big dude. That's a coordinated dude. What can't he do? But I think a lot of us, like all three of us, kind of know more about it. So, you know, he's not necessarily on our top five receiver lists or top three. But yeah, if I, I, I would, I'm, I'm digging into why these South Carolina coaches didn't play him more what happened over the first four years that you kept this talent off the field is it just rattlers having it like I, I don't even know i don't even know how i would justify or what questions i would go ask going in but i'd have to come up with a good list of like what, you know tell me what happened so th no matter what leg is going to have that production box not checked off right it, you can't change that but i now i think now you got to get context and figure out like the justification for it and ask what really changed from last year or the other four years to this year. Because I know, John, you said at one point, like, he's a third rounder for you, or I don't know if you think he, that's where he's going to go. But I'd like to hear, I mean, you maybe have done more digging. You always do a lot more background on these guys than I do. So you might have more of a bigger picture on him. Because I don't know much about him. I don't, really I don't have anything on him. Oh, okay. I don't either. I don't, know I don't have anything him. on him that I've done background Okay. Yeah, no, not background stuff. Um, though I'm gonna look at one place that I hadn't looked before. We we talked about it, John, because uh, I know he we brought his name up, and you said you you thought he might not go any earlier than like late day two, or it might have been late round two. But either way, you thought he was gonna be a little yeah, bit further down, just because the aspect of it's like why did he not play? 
And it's just that looming question of like, how do you answer that? And is there a reasonable answer? Like, I don't know what answer that I would get that I would like. Does that make sense? Like what, what answer could I have that would make me happy that he didn't play? Is it the coaching staff just wasn't a big fan of him? He couldn't process the information. Like what answer could I possibly have that would make me feel more comfortable with that other than right. Like, like what's your acceptable answer? Yeah. <laughs> I just don't know what I'd be looking for. That would be cool. Like, okay, cool. You didn't pick up on the routes you're supposed to run or whatever. Oh, you had trouble with your hands. Like I'd be curious to know like what caused the progression, but I also would wonder like, do I have some concern to why he would like revert back? Like now that we've seen him in this fully, like if you want to call it progressed form, why would he go backwards? If that makes sense. Right, right, right. And I, I mean, I'm sure a lot of that will come when they interview him in person. Well, the, the player, if you remember the player, if you remember that I put him to was Cordero Patterson. Okay. You know, and, and it's because he kind of fits that same sort of build. He's got that same sort of skill set, special teams guy that, you know, he's obviously going to be able to, to, to play there, but he's a playmaker. Get him to space. And Patterson, you know, I think he had that one big year with Tennessee where he pops out on the scene. Um, It was literally, it was just a one year. And then he goes first round. Now the other difference too was he was that was a, his third year. This is Legat's fifth year, you know. So that's concerning. But yeah, and then we we had talked about it. I know Justin, you weren't here. You were out that week, but like he has raw ability, but at the same time, like there's he popped in the bowl games the back the last couple of years before he became a starter. You know, whether there were players that were down, he came up. So he popped. He looked really good in the Dukes Mayo Bowl against North Carolina in 21. He looked really good against Notre Dame in 22. Yeah, that, that goes right back to the, okay, so what what the fuck happened in the spring? Why why were you not starting at the beginning of the next year? You know, you, that's that's my big question. You know, so I can't come to terms with that personally and i think that's why i said i really think he's gonna go i don't see him going before you know the end of the second round i don't and then when you uh, take that also into the fact that you've got just at the x receiver position insane depth you know or the or z i said x z receiver position you, you know harrison jr odunze uh neighbors just the receiver position in general is deep. So yeah, he's there's so many guys. I don't know if they're going to come out or not. Xavier Worthy could come out. Abuka could come out. Mario Williams could come out. You know, Wells yeah. said he's going back. He's going in the transfer portal. The other South Carolina receiver. Yep. Cowing Baker Corley Jalen Polk Roman Wilson Corey Crooms Zakari Franklin Lad McConkey. Like there's just so many guys there where it's like. Okay, so where does he fit in all these players? You know, where where does who do I where do I draw the line and I say, okay, I like him better than this guy? That's a very difficult question to answer. And not only do I like him better, but am I accepting of like whatever the backstory is for that? Like Mark said, what's what's the answer I'll accept for why he had four years of doing literally almost nothing and then it pops, you know. If he was like an average player, it'd be like less concerning. It's like, yeah, he just, you know, he got buried on the depth chart. But the fact that he's had such a big year and been like Spencer Rattler's main target, 
is all is more concerning. She's like, oh, we've seen he's really good. We've seen how much they could have used him, and they didn't. Something's up. Where you know you see like a guy in Bama get buried on the depth chart, and he's an elite talent, and he gets to the top. You know, comes out his junior senior year after a huge year, and it's like we're not really questioning that because Bama's Bama, and the SEC has depth out the ass, especially like the top teams. But South Carolina is not that way, so it'll be very it'll be very interesting to see what happens with that. One thing I wanted to throw out here, and this like I think how to put this, we talk about these checks box check boxes, right? And so every guy has different check boxes you want to hit, and most guys aren't going to hit all of them, right? And so I think it's interesting to view from the standpoint of like obviously like it not having that age or multi year production, but he has the SEC. He's huge. He's got great athleticism. Another guy you could look at for like how weird you can get into like these checks check boxes is like Deuce Vaughn last year. So Deuce Deuce Vaughn was uh, five foot five, one seventy nine, ran a four five six. Like I would have taken him off right there. You know, I think a lot of people would. But then you go, okay, he was P five. He ran for almost fifteen hundred yards, two back to back seasons. You know, he's he's got uh, experience as a returner. Like it's you're gonna have a give and take on every single check box, and that's why like. I don't like to treat it like there's some certain like absolutist checkbox like for every team. Every team's gonna have different ones that they kind of come with. Well, it's like Clutter you know, was a Go ahead. You bring up Vaughn specifically, which is an interesting one to bring up because the only reason he goes in the fifth round is because his dad's a coach on that team. I'm just saying. Do you think he would have gone UDFA if it weren't for that? Absolutely. Interesting. What's he doing right now? What's he doing right now? Not much. But then it makes you. He's on the practice you... squad. That's where he is. He <laughs> played two games this year. But then because he's 5'5. Five, five. Like Clyde Edwards Alaire, who's 5'6, 200, runs a 4'6, 5. Yeah, like right there. Like Mark said, I'm not even. I don't even want to consider drafting you. I, I won't. You're off my board. He goes in the first round. So it makes you think was the Kansas City Chiefs' only box that they needed was like two boxes productive and played for a good team like where where's the balance there because he fit we no talked to joe box. burrow and they said he was great yeah, he I'm said like, he's an amazing running back he's <laughs> slower than my father and he's smaller too so he's gonna go for first round and we've seen like he's been a tough he's had a tough go in kansas city Gotten, I mean, Pacheco's clearly the number one. We very rarely see reps from Clyde Edwards, but it, it does make you think like, do teams adjust? I guess, Mark, this is a question for you. Can you, what do you think teams would adjust their board for certain positions or make exceptions for certain players? Or, or do some things just carry that much weight? Was his time at LSU winning a national championship for Edwards Alaire, for instance? And being so productive, did that carry so much weight that traits just didn't matter? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, let me look. I'm actually curious. I can't remember what his production was in in uh, in college for like how much he was using the passing because that would be my thought. Is just they wanted right. a guy. They were trying to go towards pass FCS. Yeah, so 55 receptions, 453 yards, one TD. Had that big year. Um, it's interesting. I think a lot of teams are willing to do, they'll kind of like offset it, right? Like if they have certain comp compensatory traits. So like I think of like the Colts and where uh, I think it's their, with the first pick series, they talked about Kenny Moore. They, even though he's a smaller corner on paper, like in terms of his height, they were fine with uh, him because they're like, cool, he's got 33 inch arms, right? So 
you might have a guy who's a little bit smaller, but they have offsetting traits that kind of allow them. So you could think, you know, size versus speed. You could have that offset. Um, there's a bunch of different ways you could go with that. Obviously, some teams are a lot more heavy on, hey, the guy played in the SEC. We saw him against the highest level of competition. He looked good in that regard. Um, I don't know if there's if there's one catch-all answer to that, though. Like, I think it's just so dependent on each team has their different boxes that they're going to hit. Like, I would almost – my thought was to kick it back to you and ask you, like, what boxes would you have? Like, you could pick any position. Let's say running back. Like, what boxes would you want in a running back, whether it's production or level of competition or speed or so on and so forth? Running back's hard because I already don't want to take one in the first round, right? Like, I, <laughs> I don't mean you know, necessarily just like in, in in the first round. Let's just say to get drafted. Like, what the guy can't be what one seventy? Like, he's got to be bigger than that, right? Right. So, where like, would you okay. fall on like what would your cutoff lines be? Let's go like you know if level of comp, height, weight, speed, production. Like I would say if if you know if I'm drafting a power five guy, or I would say this, I want to draft a power five guy. I don't want him to be below one ninety, for instance. Um, you know, if I'm drafting a non-power five guy, I would probably say he needs to be bigger. Like, I don't want to. He's the power five is a real bump, right? It's a real mm-hmm. bump. You want to see him against the best competition, and then you can kind of live with some other things. And I can say, all right, he's 195. He's more of a slasher. Can he catch the ball? Yes. Um, was he productive? Yes. Cool. Uh, did he test? I think it, it, what's become more important for me throughout the years is I think when I first started this kind of shit. I was like, I don't need to see him test. Like I saw him on the field. He's fast. And it's like, yeah, you're dumb. You're naive. Like it matters. It matters a lot because why it matters is not just so you can say, oh, I see he's fast. But and I learned this from you, Mark, early on. I learned this from uh, Kent Lee Platt, who comes out with the cool RAS scores. It's not just a matter of now I can see he's fast and quantify it. I can compare him to tons of players in the past and I can kind of put all the data together and see like, is he an outlier? Like I like him. And that's what we're talking about. Like teams do the research teams have the checklist for a reason. It's not just a matter of, do I like him anymore? It's ah, shoot. This corner is five eleven and ran a four, six, five. Has that ever been successful in the NFL? No. Well, but he's stuck with this guy. He's stuck with this guy. He can cover like, yeah, but the NFL is a different animal and it's literally never happened ever you know what i mean so now you're saying and we talked about this in the group chat it's like all right i have this opinion that is pretty outlandish and i'm i'm the only one and i think this four six five five eleven corner can can work no one else seems to think that so now i have to understand i have to ask myself how valuable is this opinion that i have because it's the only one it's the only one that's like it and i forget what i was where i was headed with that but yeah i think like okay, th- for instance, this year Cooper DeGene, DeGene. How do I pronounce his name, John? Is it DeJohn or DeGene? For sure, it's DeGene. Cooper DeGene. So he's the Iowa cornerback slash safety. Tours ACL uh, early November. Is that correct? Tours ACL. Yep. Correct. Okay, so for him, he was already a tough study for me, and I'm like, all right, this is going to be an interesting eval. First off, he's a white guy in the secondary. Red flag. <laughs> like straight up red flag. I'm like. <laughs> It just doesn't happen much, right? Like it's it never happens. Look around in history. Look around in the current NFL. Who do we have? Harrison Smith and not many other ones, right? That are high level. So I'm like, all right, he white guy. Now I'm like, all right, he's a big dude. He's like 6'2", 205, 210. How good are his hips really? Can he play corner? Is he a safety? 
I'm watching tape, right? All right, I'm watching him against Big Ten teams. These Big Ten passing games are trash. Even the top teams this year were trash. Penn State has a rookie or a freshman. That passing game was a disaster. Kyle McCord was awful for Ohio State. Granted, I'm seeing Cooper DeJean. They didn't even play them. Point is, I'm watching him play uh, bad Big Ten offenses. So it's even harder to really see what he can do because they're not playing. He's not facing volume passing games. He's not really facing quality. So it's just a lot of things on the checklist that I'm like, I don't know. There's some things I need to see. There's certain types of reps and coverage I haven't seen. I'll see if he tests elite. Not going to test now. At least I could say, all right, he runs four, three, five. He jumps out of the gym. I'm going to bank on this athlete. I'm going to bank on this crazy elite athlete. Now we're not going to get to see those numbers. So sure, I'm sure he's athletic. I'm sure he's fast, but I can't put that down on paper. And for a lot of teams, that's a huge freaking deal because they can sell that to a GM. The GM can sell that to himself by saying, ah, look at this. Look at how good he tested. Now they can't do that. So now they just have to hope that their eye test was good enough on top of all the other things that are kind of already going against this kid playing in like the big 10 and not getting to see a lot of things we like to see. So he's one of the ones where I'm like, I, I think the media loves oh, it. Is he, I don't think he's coming now. Is he not? I thought I've heard only rumors that like he's coming. So this is the first year that he's draft eligible. Um, yeah, I saw him last year and it was music city bowl in person. And I was walking down the field before the game, and I was taking some of those like videos, you know, that you take of the guys warming up, get a look at their body type. And uh, as I was, I'm like, who's this number three guy? Like this guy, he was back there catching kicks. Yeah, I'm like, who is this guy? Like he's got some explosion, he's got some pop. And so I, I took a video of him. It was Cooper DeGene. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, he had a phenomenal game against Kentucky, too. And I was sitting there going, okay, yeah, he's legit. The other thing, too, is you know he's athletic. Oh, yeah. And it's not because of the work that he did on, you know, on defense. It's the special teams work that he's done. The problem with knowing that he's athletic like that becomes – well, now we're dealing with a guy that is he just a pure athlete or is he a reactive athlete? And on defense, I'd much rather have a reactive athlete than a pure athlete. I think he's reactive. I'm pretty sure he is. You know, but um, and it's hard to tell. Him I don't think can. he's. I don't. I don't know for a fact, but I don't. I don't think he's coming out. Well, that's a relief because <laughs> I felt like my eval was going to be so incomplete on a super talented guy, and you know. I already don't have access to things the NFL teams do, and now I have to rely on whatever I can find out, and it's not much. So, Kim, I have a few things that kind of come to mind in that regard of, like, you mentioned if you don't have, like, that testing. Like, obviously, the testing's not the end-all, be-all, right? Like, that, it has to match the tape. If the guy runs 4-3, but he looks 4-6, like, okay, don't really care. But one thing that I would say is, like, number one, if I was with the team, be like, did we miss on the athlete? If, like, let's say we think 4-4, and he comes out and he runs four six. Like, what were we just wrong? Like, what were eyes wrong? Or is he different? Like, let's say a guy gets injured. Like, let's say the gene somehow were to get healthy enough to where he could run, and he goes out there and he runs four sixes. Like, did we miss, or is he now a different guy physically post recovery? Um, and then that kind of goes to like, how do you implement like using stuff like GPS to kind of offset and figure out like what what sources can you use to determine 
what type of athlete a guy is if you don't have those testing numbers or if they're kind of skewed based on he was injured or something like that. Well, I mean, if that's the case, the other question is like, why do you run? Is he getting bad advice? Is this how did he feel 100% or did he know he wasn't 100%? And if he knew he wasn't 100%, why do you run? So then you then you ask, at least in my mind, then I go to like this spiral of like so many more questions of what is really going on here. And and then, I mean, I think that's the part where you kind of get that paralysis by overanalysis where it's just like, I don't know what to do. And you already, you already know me, Mark. I'm not the guy to like reason through all that. My brain doesn't work that fast. <laughs> well, that I was going to ask, like, what do you mean by paralysis <laughs> by overanalysis? Like what, what would get you hung up there? Well, like I said, okay. So like, let's say that scenario happens, right? Cooper DeGene is like, oh, guys, I'm healthy. Combine. And he runs four, six, five. Is that how fast you are? Are you recovering <laughs> from your injury? Uh, did, did you run because you felt 100%? And if you weren't 100%, why'd you run? Who's giving you bad advice? Like all those questions would go through my mind and I feel like all the answers could be different, you know? And then I'm like, what do I, what, what am I looking for here? Like, what would I be, like, like you said earlier, what am I okay with? How do I even balance like what I'm about to hear? Like, I, you know what I mean? I, I remember Jarvis Landry he ran horrible at the combine when he came out. Four seven like, seven or something yeah. like that. Yeah. And I think he said he he pulled up on his hamstring or something, right? That something was that. Like that. But then like he's I, I don't know. It it felt like he didn't make that as public as I would have. Like if I know I'm fast and I run a four seven seven, that's the only thing I'm gonna talk about. That's the only thing I'm gonna say. And it felt like it was very like yeah, like you didn't hear about it. And I remember I had to do, I had to do some digging. Like, what the hell? What happened? And I remember Rick Saratella was even like, I think he I think we're hearing something about his hamstring. I'm like, then say it. Only talk about it. Like, I think you're slow now. I already didn't think you were that fast on tape. But are you a four seven seven guy? And then, you know, I think he went to his his pro day and ran a lot faster. But it was still like pro day numbers are always inflated. So that's not I think it was still in like the four fives or something. So I'm like, that's not great he could run a whole point one faster you know at the pro day because of the stopwatch timers it was just one of those things where it's like how do i balance all this info how do i quantify all this data when i kind of need to ask you guys some questions you know what i mean like i need to i, I need to interview jarvis to, and figure out what happened and for me like every year that's that's part of the thing it's like i just feel like i'm asking too many questions and inevitably i'm asking the wrong ones here and there and that's why i got you this year mark so hopefully that'll change <laughs> I think the question I would pose, funny enough, um, would be that what's your intent? Like if you're with a team, it's like the way I view it for with a team would be what's the risk tolerance, right? Like if a guy runs four, six, five, like he can give me every, every excuse of like, oh my, I pulled a hammy or like I wasn't fully recovered or what, like at what point am I okay with a four, six, five or at what point am I okay with him not running and I don't have verified numbers, right? Like post injury. So I think that's a very different perspective to take than like a media perspective where media perspective is if I drop this guy, like let's say I have him top 15 and then he doesn't run. And like, I'm spooked by him. I drop him down to like 50 and then he goes top 15 because teams are okay with it. Like, do I look like an ass? You know, yeah, like right, it's a very right. different um, mentality based on wherever you're, you're standing, whether, you know, you're with a team or your meter or whatever your goal is. So I think that's where I would go with like what questions would I ask and what would I kind of like try to point it at um, from there. Right. I always think this, like every single year, I always think, 
an incomplete is better on the stat on the the checklist. An incomplete is better than a negative. Like if I don't know, like T Higgins, uh, am I right, John? T Higgins did not run a forty his year that he came out. I'm pretty sure he didn't, and everyone was speculating like, ah, it's because he's slow. And I'm like, I don't know. And I remember thinking like, well, I'd rather let people think like guess than tell them yes, I'm slow. Like if I he, think he ran by the way four or five wow. nine pro was day that, pro, that was okay, that was, was COVID year that was the last pro day before they shut it all down okay but he skipped now, combine that yeah yeah so when he skipped the combine everyone was up up in arms like is he is he slow and I'm like I don't think he's fast but I just I think he'd rather be in an environment where he can kind of have his people control it and put up a better number inevitably on the hand time than go to the combine run a four seven. And be like, well, I'll improve it at the pro day because, like, that's not. I like I said, I'd rather just let people guess and have an incomplete than tell them straight up, like, I'm I'm slow. And I mean, even it for me, it's like a, a COVID year, the year that like Cam Dantzler, yes, yes, ran so the slow. COVID year, the year like Cam Dantzler ran the four two four. Oh. Yeah, but they like the agents about? dropped the video where he ran the four two four. No, 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 no. The agents dropped the video because it was we were in COVID lockdowns, and it was him running a forty, and it was supposed at four two four, and every and everybody was looking at it going, "Yeah, this is BS." <laughs> Wasn't it sped up or something? Like that COVID year was wild. That's what just yeah. made me think of. Yeah, yeah, it had to have been sped up. I think it was. Were they up. were they like you know they they sit there and they clock it. They just clock it and get like a four two four to show up, and then they get the video to match it. Is yeah, basically like, what they did. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, that, I forgot. It. COVID year was crazy because that was the year like uh, Michael Parsons and Jamar Chase sat out, and then we have yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, my god. Uh, and I, I would throw out real quick too, and I think it goes to like the no number. The LSU receivers all ran four threes. Yeah, yeah, that was that year, and we're all like, well, can we trust any of this stuff? <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> um, so when you think of like, let's say you don't have a number, what happens with an, it's a player you like and what happens? It's a player you don't like. If you think a guy's going to run like crap and he doesn't put a number, what do you think? And if he, you think he's going to run real well and doesn't put a number, what do you think? I let my confirmation bias run wild and I just boost my guy. Yeah. And that's exactly <laughs> what I'm thinking of. It's like right, right, every right. team based on like, well, it's, it's individual scouts too, right? Is they're going to think. Oh, he didn't run a number, but yeah, he looked plenty fine to me. He looked fast on tape. Or if you're on the other end, you're like, that guy doesn't look too fast to me. Eh, he's hiding something. He didn't want to run because he's going to run like crap. So it gives you more maneuverability, I think, to where the people that like you are going to use that in their corner and be like, oh, we don't have a number, but he looked fast. And people who don't like you, it's the other way. And then you don't have to really like have that. But if you go out there and like you just shit the bed at your pro day, it's like everyone's like, yeah, you just ran like crap, dude. I can't argue for you now you ran a four seven as a receiver like it's over i'm sorry <laughs> well i think the other problem like i have specifically is like i've talked to a good amount of people in the know i've talked to scouts and they will always say like fast guys run fast good testers test good and i'm like okay cool 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 so then when a guy doesn't do something i'm like he wouldn't he would only not do it because he's bad at it or because he's slow you know what i mean and so I have like that mindset where I kind of like embedded that old information of like, well, he, yeah, if, if he's fast, why wouldn't he run? And I think there's probably a lot of truth to that. But I do think there's some circumstances where it's like you can get burned if that's the way you think 100% of the time. Clearly, T. Higgins was like the first one I remember. 
where I was like, oh, I really like the tape. I really like the player, but I don't think he's that fast. Then he pulls that and I'm like, shoot, this is a player I really like. I was actually feeling pretty objective that year. I'm like, I just want to see. I just want to know like what he what he was actually going to run from my own eval. And it kind of frustrated me. Um, but so yeah, sometimes there's a guy that, you know, your confirmation bias is just like right on the money. And you're totally okay with just writing him off or boosting him up or whatever. This year for me, Keon Coleman is that guy. I think he's slow. And then randomly, like, I'm watching tape and I'm like, that's fast. But I can't figure him out. And I'm really excited to see what he runs this year at the Combine because I'm right in the middle again. Like, I'm like, oh, dude, I love the tape. I love the player. I love the ability. But there are times where I'm like, he's struggling with this corner. He just looks a little sluggy. Is he actually slow? You know what I mean? And a lot of times with those big guys, the long striders, it's hard to tell how fast they really are because they're always gliding. They always take the big ass steps and it's just impossible to figure out like what's his speed really like. And you know, another thing I always think of too is like back to the human element. Sometimes they just ain't trying. Sometimes they're not running 100%. Um, You know, they always test the miles per hour of the football at the combine when quarterbacks throw. And I'm like, that's they're not throwing as hard as they can. You know what I mean? Like that's a pretty weird representation of like Andy Dalton threw faster than Joe Flacco. I'm like, that's not right. Cause Flacco wasn't throwing hundred percent at the con. Like he wasn't throwing a fastball. So yeah, sure. You can cling to that data, but if it's not, if they're not doing it with the intent of giving you the testing numbers, then why are we, you know, why are we doing it? I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. No. Well, that's always what scares so how me. Like fast, GPS. How Sorry fast, to interrupt you, John. Go ahead. No, I, I, so the first issue I think we have is Justin's. Justin's like got a lag, and so that's what's throwing us off a little bit. But it's okay. I do. Uh, how fast do you think he's gonna run? Keon Coleman. Yeah. Four five four. Okay, because the yeah. range estimate I've got is from. You know, a the low being four four two, the high being four five eight. That's a that's big. That is broad. Oh yeah, but you got to go with the broad until they actually run it. Yeah. Um. But see, here's the thing. So to before before we talk about Florida State, first off, let's go ahead and get this out of the way. This because this is the this is the elephant when you in the room with Florida State. Should Florida State be in the playoff or not? No. No. I'm yeah. sorry, Danny, to make we're all on the no. same page here. Danny Cannell hates yeah, us. No, we're all on the same page. We're all on the same page. <laughs> okay. So, because I, I I was very vocal about it on Twitter the night before, and I watching that Louisville game, I really thought that I was like heartbroken watching it, going, "They're about to get in over Alabama because they're undefeated." And then when you know, absolute jubilation when. You know, Alabama's announced as the number four team. Thank you, ESPN, for yeah. dragging that out for way longer than you had to. But uh, no, so I want to get that out of the way. With Keon, <laughs> Keon was on my my underrated list, like my all underrated team coming into the year because he was a guy I thought that could have a really huge year, explode, be a potential first round guy uh, because he had really juicy traits. And wasn't didn't play as much as I wanted him to at Michigan State, but the other thing about him too is he was a two sport athlete in college at Michigan State. I don't know if you guys know that or not, but he played 
basketball for, for Michigan State, but he was a guard. He didn't play much basketball because he's playing football, but, you know, he played. So just the fact that you're on a Big Ten football team and a Big Ten basketball team, not just any basketball team in the Big Ten, but team. Michigan State, yeah. that says something about where you are athletically. So to me, yeah, he's a little bit of a long strider, and I think uh, long striders are definitely, like you said, really hard to evaluate because you see, you see them. It doesn't. They're not. Their legs aren't churning like those little guys do, like the little two-two Atwells and the, you know, the running backs of the Deuce Fawns of the world. But they're moving, and every time that I've watched Keon play, you know, because I think that he's got very good speed. He just pulls away from people, especially in the open field. And running his route, separation, pulls away from people, and it's just his pure speed. So I think he's going to probably run, you know, bringing the estimate, the broad estimate down. I think he's going to run somewhere between a 4-4-4 and a 4-4-9. Wow. That's, that's my guess. I mean, the way these guys prep for testing, it wouldn't shock me at all. And he might just be fast, too. Those long strides might be covering more ground than I'm giving him credit for, and he might just be fast, right? I, mm-hmm. Like I said, sometimes he might just be dogging it. He might just be tired. I don't know. That was just one of my concerns that I would have. Like, if I'm a GM, I would say, I need to see Coleman's testing. I need to. I just need to check that off the list and get it over with. And, yeah, so for me, I'm like – and, I mean, Jarvis, you brought this up a few weeks ago with Marvin Harrison Jr., I'm asking myself with Keon Coleman, like, what's the number that I would actually have? What's what's the, what's the lowest he could run, basically, that would change my mind on him? You know what I mean? And so right now I'm prepping for like, all right, if he runs four sixes, like, where where do I go with that? Not saying he will, but I mean, you got to prep for the worst, right? And so I, I'm hoping he's that guy this year that doesn't like opt out of the forty because a lot of those big dudes do. You know, they don't get, they know they're not going to get a great start. They know some things could go wrong for them and they don't want their stock to drop when they probably know they are faster than what they're going to run. So I'm like, just please run. Please, God, run for me so I can watch it. Makes the combat so that much more enjoyable. Have you too. answered that question yet, though, with where he needs to run? I mean, I think if because, he runs... Because I, I think it's if he runs anything less than a 4 or 5, five I, I might be a little skittish. I was thinking four, five, seven for some reason. That was my number where I'm like, that's the one where I'm like, ah, he's slow. He's slow, dude. Because especially if you're training for these tests and you still come in that slow, that means you're probably slower than that. And uh, he's going to jump out of the gym. I have no doubt about that. I think he's going to do all the the testing pretty elite. But I think the 40 is the one thing where it's going to be a little bit of a, a factor. And those long striders are tough to stay with because you got to – they're running. Let's say they stack you. Now you have that whole stride where you can't get that close to him. So I think a little, a little bit of credit is due to him. It's like he's gonna over, he's gonna compensate for it, and he's probably gonna overcome it even if he does run slow. But I mean, stacked in a class like the one he's in, it's that little thing that will separate you from Odunze and Marvin Harrison Jr. and neighbors, and maybe even the Texas guys, or even Leggett to some teams. You know what I mean? So it's it doesn't change that he'll be a good player. It doesn't really change the evals individually, but it does change where he'll be stacked up against the rest of the class, right? Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. 
So I'd ask if let's say he hits he get instead of four uh, four five seven let's go he hits four five eight or four five nine how much does that affect like how do you drop it like do you drop him down like you don't like kill him and say oh he's down two rounds now right like how much do you recalibrate oh, no, based no, no, on no. that right like we're gonna have I don't know about you Jarvis I'm gonna probably end up the way I'm thinking with fifteen to seventeen first round grades this year. I th- that's what I'm kind of starting to feel like I'm going to have at the end of the year, looking at the guys. It might even be, it might be less than that too. Cause I don't think it's a real top heavy. I think it's really deep in the day two range. If he runs a four, five, eight, four, five, nine, I don't think he's going to have a first round grade for me. I think that's going to be enough to push him down. So Especially, it, he'll yeah. still be, a, he'll still be a first second, you know? Yeah. But now I'm talking about, Okay, I'm I'm gonna take Odunze before him because Odunze, especially at the end of the year, has had a fantastic season, you know. And and I've the last couple of games I've watched from him, uh, Utah, in the Oregon State, the Oregon Pac-12 championship, he's unbelievable. Like he's just unbelievable. I just I wasn't buying it early, and now I'm like, okay, no, I've I've seen what I need to see. With neighbors, he's unbelievable. You know, and so that if he runs a four five nine, I can't justify putting Keon Coleman ahead of those two by itself. I can't. So that's where he drops. So in the ranking, in the positional ranking, he drops two or three spots. Well, here's here's kind of why I asked that is because like there's a there's an interesting question of like there's a I think it's a philosophical thing of like how many grains of sand makes a sand pile. And you so you kind of get like one at a time and you like eventually it's a sand pile, but you can't pick the single individual grain that gets you there. And so I view that from the standpoint of like each little step in testing, like what's the difference between a 32 inch vert and a 33 inch vert? Or a four five nine versus the four five eight versus the five seven five six. Like, how do you differentiate between the five nine drops him versus a five two? Okay, we're cool. I'm not going to drop him down the stack, right? Like, how do you yeah. figure out how to balance that? I think that's where you go back and compare him with past. You know, it's it might not make a big difference of what he actually is as an individual, but it kind of puts him in different in like a different set of data, right? Where that thirty two inch vert puts him with a bunch of busts and somehow the 33 puts him with like, Oh, there's some productive guys on that list as stupid again, as that might sound. I think that's the reality of it. And that's why it is so important to get like testing and look at the past and look at all these players stacked up next to each other. And like for this class, for instance, it doesn't like Keon Coleman running slow. Wouldn't you wouldn't just drop him like without context. I think you would say, all right, well, now I have to put these receivers ahead of him because they check different boxes and they're worth the risk taking them this high because they have this quantifiable speed and it's much faster than Keon. Um, Or as a team, I think like we were talking about earlier, you would say, you know, we're not going to take him in the first. We have pick number 26. We're not taking him there. If he falls past 39, we'll consider trading, you know, trading up for him. Or that's the point when we say he's worth the value for us. Stuff like that. I don't know if it's exactly like that, but I think that's the way it kind of falls when you know a player doesn't meet the certain like threshold that you wanted him to meet because he's still a good player. And if you evaluate him as a good player, like you know that that's your thing. It's not that he's now bad, but it's now like we cannot evaluate what he's given us past the you know 
until it gets to this certain point in the draft because at the end of the day it's just a height weight speed auction it's a cattle yeah. auction and you're just like oh we you know the risk the lowest profile we can is different pay? yeah the yeah risk what's the lowest we can pay there. for this guy exactly so you know, that's what it boils down to but there, also, there's one thing i wanted to look at go oh ahead. go ahead go ahead justin i was about to say i gotta go <laughs> He's got to go hit the ice. <laughs> so the, the last the last thing I'll ask, uh, I'll just add before you go there, is, you know, I was looking at a guy. This isn't – their height is comparable based on the measurement that I have of Keon right now. Their weight is not. But a guy that he reminds me of running and it would be in long strides and pulling away in the open field is Derrick Henry. He ran a four five four. Now the difference is I think Derek ran a one six oh split, ten yard split. And I think Coleman has a little bit better of a get off there. That's where I pulled yeah. my estimation. That's why I just wanted to add that. I tweeted he's what people wanted Nikhil Harry to be. And Nikhil Harry ran a four four nine at the combine. Um he just couldn't separate mm-hmm. on the field. He kind of sucked. I think like if you love Keon or if you love Nikhil. Did he run a four four nine? I think he did. It was four, four five three uh, laser four five zero hand time. So he's, I mean, he's close. He's right there. Okay, close. Yeah, close, close. But I mean, okay. So let's say, I, I I'll just say this. I think if you love Nikhil, which I did not, I didn't I like didn't, Nikhil. I hated him. I I was like, dude, this is a third like fourth him. round. Yeah, I don't know why, but for some reason I like Keon, and I don't know if it's just that he's so much more acrobatic and physical. And just moves a little differently, but I think this is like the redo. Like, hey, for those of you who missed on Nikhil, like Keon's your boy. And if you, yeah, how? And first off, if you did like Nikhil, how do you not like Keon Coleman because he's just a better version of him? I think so. It's like it feels yeah. pretty, it feels like pretty much common sense. But uh, I got to run, boys. I got a hockey game. Wish me luck, John. Don't say anything like break a leg or anything because last time you said that, I did tear my. Don't say anything. So I'm gonna head out. Um, we will do trivia next week, but nice to see you boys. And, uh, yeah, I'm going to head out. I got, I was like, I can't say anything. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. What you got? Okay. No, I just lost my train of thought. Um, it was something in regards to the, uh, 40 times. Oh, here's what it was. The aspect of I like to do an estimate on my own just because I think that gives you a comparable of like if I put down four four five as my number, right? And he goes out there and he does four three five or four five five, then I can go, Okay, was I way off on him? Like what what different information do I have now? Like if I put four 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 five and he runs four four six, I'm like, Okay, nothing's changed, you know? I think having that number just kind of as like an estimate gives you a comparable to where you can say, okay, do I need to adjust for new information or am I fine to sit where I'm at post testing numbers? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, that is important too, you know, with uh, trying to try to estimate that side of it because it's, there are guys that play different at game speed, you know, and, and they play different with the pads on, like that's the other aspect of it. That's really difficult, you know? So we use the te- the testing, Everybody does it the same. That's why we don't just, hey, everybody, you know, put on the pads, go run a 40 now because that's that should be more relevant because that's going to erase, you know, 30 years of combine data, you know, and render it worthless. So we can't, 
we've already gone this far. We can't change that. Yeah. Um, but there are guys that run. They run differently in pads. Uh, I'm just trying to think of a guy off the top of my head that kind of fits. Well, I guess you could even say Derrick Henry. I remember people when he ran the four five four. They were like, "Oh, he's too slow." And it's like, but do you see this motherfucker when he gets up to speed? Like, it's it's kind of terrifying, you know? Like, yeah. he's big, and yeah, once you get him past that ten yard threshold, because his you know his ten yard split is really more comparable to offensive linemen than it is anything else. But once you get him past that, and he's running, and we've seen that he's such a big physical presence, you can't get him down anyways. So. And he's pulling away from people. So, uh, but with Keon, he's got a better jump, but they run similar. You know, when they're going and engaging into long speed, they've got a very similar gait, very similar stride. Keon just starts faster. So that tells me he's probably going to run faster than four or five. And that's why I put him right there in the four, four or five, you know, where that's pretty much my number that I'm thinking he's going to hit. Gotcha. And it's tricky. It wouldn't too, shock me like, if you ran a four three nine. <laughs> well, it's tricky too. You like you said, because, yeah, different guys run so differently too. Like you'll have it's like normally you run four five four. You're not running a one six or whatever ten. Like usually, if you're you know a lot of guys that are fast guys are fast all the way through, or guys that are slow guys are slow all the way through. But you'll get these weird hybrids where some guys just need that really really long runway. So they play slow because the game's in these 10-yard increments at most usually. And then it's like, okay, well, he ran really well. Like offensive lineman 40s, for instance. Offensive line 40s, um, even though a lot of teams prefer the 10, they're still viewed in a way of like, oh, this guy ran a 4-9 as an offensive lineman. That's a really big deal. It tells you a lot about who he is as an athlete. Like he's a really, really good athlete. But at the same time, that's such a different thing than what you're going to see from any way you're going to use him in the game, right? So – it's just tricky trying to compare that. I think it's a great bar just in terms of general athleticism. And usually guys that run pretty well are generally pretty good athletes, but it's just, it's, it's far from a one-to-one. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it, it's so hard. We can't talk about, you know, or just can't stress enough how hard it is to be, you know, six, seven, 302 pounds and go run a four, eight, nine. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's that's insane. You know, Jake Witt. In case you didn't know, I had to bring that up. Uh, went seventh round because he literally ran a four eight nine on his pro day. Went to Central Michigan to do it. Was out of Northern Michigan. Nobody knew who he was. I had heard about him through the agent. I think we talked about him on here at one point. But yeah, like it says a lot about their athlete, their their general athletic ability, and just how far farther they are. But in the broad scheme of things and talking about how 40 translates from an offensive lineman as opposed to a running back or a wide receiver, it's vastly different, you know? So what I think the other thing too, that I've noticed specifically about offensive linemen, and this is kind of rambling and going into almost another thought is that everybody has a specific type that they like. Um, and it's all dependent on who the offensive line coach is. And this was something I kind of got tipped on over this past year, where if you want to project offensive linemen, you figure out who the offensive line coach is first and what type of offensive lineman he likes. And once you figure that out, you're pretty much going to figure out who the team's targets are. 
Um, when you look at Philadelphia and you look at their bookend tackles, Lane Johnson, Jordan Matala, they're both big guys. They're both long. And they both kind of have the same approach when they back into their anchor where they use their length to neutralize the defender and prolong the contact, the initial contact. And at that point, they're able to control the rep just about all the way through. And that's why Lane Johnson, I don't think, has given up a sack in four or five years by himself on a one-on-one rep because he is so good at setting and coming off and not engaging with that defender initially with his hands and forcing that defender to make a decision. Am I going to try to beat him to the outside? Am I going to counter inside? But I haven't even engaged him yet, so I can't even think about that. He stalls the defender and buys himself an extra second. And, you know, so there's different styles to playing. That's the type of tackle I personally prefer because I could do, I feel like I could build a pocket with two guys like that. Matala is like that too. He's a little bit more aggressive and he's bigger, so he's able to make up for it. But, you know, like Lane Johnson is one of those guys that is so much fun to watch on tape because of just how artistic he is with his drop. But yeah, that's what it comes down to is figure out what the offensive line coach likes and then roll with it. Um, but yeah, totally different thought, but just popped in my head, came out ADD. How much of that do you think is just the pure raw athlete, like the frame, the ability, like the length versus how much of that do you think is stuff that's been coached into them in terms of how they just engage with blocks? It's, so so first off, the physical presence helps Lane. You know, because I think his his arm length is ridiculous, if I remember correctly. It's been a long time since I've Both of them are. That's why I asked because both of them are, like, enormous. Like, I'll pull up. Yeah, want I want to say they up. both have they both have at least 34 and a half inch arms. I want to yeah, say 35. I'll give you both. And Lane is just, like, the freak of all freaks. Like, you mentioned Jake Witt being a freak at 6'7", 302, 489. Like, okay, so here's here's what we got. Uh, Lane was six foot six, three Oh three, four, six, nine hand time with 35 and two, eight inch arms, and four, six, nine, four, six, nine hand time, four, seven, two laser. Yeah. <laughs> I and didn't then, know that. Holy dude. Yeah. Lane is like the freak of freak of like offensive line testing. Like it's as good as it gets. Um, and then Jordan, it was uh, – I don't have the arm and the wingspan pulled up here on draft scout, but I know it's like in the 35, 36 range. But he was six foot, uh, six, 6067, 385, ran a 5'1", with a six seven six three cone. So you're talking about two like freak of freak athletes, right? And that's why I asked because obviously like you have certain stylistic things that like certain coaches will want and certain ways they want their players. But like at a certain point, some of that is just like you're in such bizarro – athlete territory like it doesn't matter like lane could have bad technique in it like at that level of athlete it's kind of just so far above everyone else it's he'd still find yeah, something so so i guess right? with him right but yeah with him it's it's first off when you line up on him and he's standing there and he's just so physically imposing that's the first thing i think that makes a defender hesitate um but then he does he does dictate it because he's got a really great, you know, jump step when he when he you know what's that term? I I know that's not the correct term. Uh, I can't think of it right now. 
when he when he steps back, when he gets into his drop, I mean, kick step. That's it. He's got a beautiful kick step, and sets up so perfectly. And then and so, but what he's doing with this kick step that's different than a lot of other people is he's setting up the defender so the defender has to pick where he's going to go. But he's buying time and he's using his length. He's got his length. He's got his arms out there. And that defender's hesitating because he's trying to figure out how am I going to attack? And I mean, it's, it's like the, per, it's like pulling out the perfect chess defense strategy. You know, you're black and you're just, you're pulling out something that you are just, you're setting it up, you're protecting all your pieces, and you're making it so that if you want to get to my king, you got to figure out how you're going to do it. And you're going to, I'm going to make you suffer to do it. You're going to lose some pieces, but it's going to take you some time. And the difference there is he's so physically imposing that even when you engage with him, he's going to, he's going to respond. So like with Lane and, and Jordan's the same way. They use that length to make that defender hesitate and try to figure out how they're going to work around them. So I would say 60% of it, just going through careful thought, as I'm stalling with my explanation, I'm running calculations in my head, uh, 60% of it is natural ability. And 40% of it, I don't think he came out there and started playing tackle like this in high school. You know, I've watched a lot of, tack- a lot of high school tackles play. And your first instinct as an offensive lineman is to engage with the guy and stop him. And so I think that there's a certain element of coaching that he's gotten over the years that's built that technique, that's built that style to him. And there's a lot of guys that are starting to buy this style. They're starting to use it for themselves. And it works out really well, especially as a pass protector. So, uh, but Lane is the first guy that I remember seeing really play like that. Um, and also now understanding how well he tested, I didn't realize that. That's he came out in 2013. Is that correct? Uh, yes. Lane Johnson, 2013, was a 2013 yeah. draft pick. Yeah. Yeah. So that's like before I was doing this. So that's probably why I never realized that. But um, no, I he's. When you figure out, my point was, when you figure out what the offensive lineman likes to do, the offensive line coach likes, you can figure out who they're going to target in the draft based on the skill set, the style that they prefer having. Um, so that's, you know, uh, people think that to scout football players, for some reason, to scout NFL draft picks, you don't have to watch the NFL as much. No. No. I'm tuned in every Sunday and watching football all day. Because that's how I'm going to figure out what the teams want is by watching them and, and evaluating. Like I have just as deep notes on the NFL right now as I do on college, you know, where I'm, I'm looking at it more from a standpoint of what are they doing schematically? What are the player types that they want and building that for every team so that I can properly project guys, you know, because, and that's why I don't like to make picks on everybody keeps asking me, Who's who's going to be the first overall pick? You know, people that I know, people that I see around my hometown, people on Twitter. I couldn't tell you right now. I don't know who's picking. I have no idea. I think it's going to be a quarterback because Chicago, I can't see Chicago holding on to number one pick. Assuming that Carolina continues to suck and 
keeps the number one pick, which belongs to Chicago. I can't see him keeping it, so somebody's going to trade up for it. And until that trade happens, I have no idea who who's going number one. I don't because I, I need to see what they're doing schematically. I need to see what the coaches look like and what they're going to try to run. That's what I need to figure out. So I've got a couple yeah. of things I would throw out there too from that. And, and one would be, um, I know I mentioned that article that's on my pen tweet uh, last week, but I w- there's a section there that talks about um, there is a study done on NBA players and I've kind of compared it to NFL players. The study was essentially that the, um, uh, the scarcity of very, very tall people affects the skill distribution of the NBA. So if you think of like the, uh, the total variance in terms of like ability to just put up points between like the very small guys, if you're talking six two, like six three, six four, guys were a lot more like kind of grouped up, and it it wasn't like there was this big gap, right? Versus if you look at like seven foot, seven foot one, so on and so forth, there are so few of those guys. They make it in just because they're that big, but the gap between shooting between like a Kevin Durant, for instance, versus some bench warmer guy is just so much wider. Um, and I, so I view that from the perspective you look at like the NFL. Uh, you look at a guy like Land Johnson again, going back to his number six foot six, three hundred three, ran four seven two. You know, and he's got thirty five inch arms. Like you're talking about a very, very rare human being. You're talking about a, a legitimate one in a million, if not even more scarce. Um, and so I think that's an interesting lens to put on. That's what I try to put on it. But I know obviously coaches view it very differently. Of like they have different types they like, and they have different you know ways they want to view it in terms of like the type of guy they prefer. But I think just that aspect of the scarcity of guys that are that big, that are that athletic, uh, it's an interesting topic to compare. Like, I, I don't know if you've uh, heard a lot of scouts talking about planet theory as far as like the – have you heard that saying before? No, planet I, theory? Yeah, I, I have. I've, it, not, the, not by that term, but, you know, just the whole fact that you have 5% of the American population is over 6'2", 200 pounds. That's 6'2". 200 i'm not saying 200 so when we when we've got a 65 300 pound guy that's liquid gold and he can move that's liquid gold literally that is human gold and so like that came up a couple years ago when i was at the combine and that um missouri state defensive tackle that ended up going the fifth round the colts that year uh i can't think of his name but he was out of missouri state he didn't get invited to the combine after Going, doing the NFL PA Bowl, got called up to the Senior Bowl and played really well. Didn't get a combine invite. And there was a lot of talk around the combine from scouts going, he should be here because literally, here's why. Because 6'5", 300 pounds and he can move. He needs to be here. So yeah, there is a scarcity factor that's into it. But by planet theory, what were you specifically talking about? Um, No, it's just the same idea of like, planet theory being that you have such a scarcity of there's only so many people on planet earth that meet a certain height weight speed type of distribution you know so i you thinking of eric johnson defensive tackle yes that's him yes yep so and and that's a perfect example of it right so six six oh four three two nine nine four eight seven forty thirty four and two eight inch arms and Obviously, did not get that combine invite, but I think that's when you look at how a lot of these teams view that. Obviously, it's not every team, but just the if you were to compare those numbers across the board against every guy historically, like there are just so few of those types of guys, and they end up even if not necessarily the tape being where you want it to be, 
they just end up having this like higher value in the draft just because of the scarcity of the the type of player, the type of athlete. Right. Exactly. And that's that's the other part of it too that's always interesting. People I know when I started doing this that was not something I understood. You know, um it wasn't really until when you start to understand you know, defensive lines and defense, defensive schematics and where the NFL is going with that. And then build that into what you're describing as planet theory, which is a perfect way to describe it. And, you know, when you when you got these guys and they just fit that body type and they fit, they have the athletic profile to go with it, they're going to get opportunities regardless of what their technique looks like, what their hands look, their hands could be, some of the worst hands you've ever seen. They don't know where to put them. They don't know how to attack an offensive lineman. That's okay because you're big. You're going to eat a block, you know. And when you got a six five, three hundred pound guy, and he can move, he offers that threat. You're going to get doubled a lot. Um, one of the things that's exploded in recent, you know, NFL defensive strategy is, you know, the bear front and go, going with the five man front. And as long as you've got one guy on that interior who's going to eat a double, you've got a one-on-one with a tight end or a running back on the outside. And it's you're going to be one of your star edge rushers if you've got them. So just playing, you know, schematics and, and talk and why that's why the, everybody's got a bear front now. Um, that's difficult to, to contend with. So when you, that's why, that's why I like, I see body types and I, I jump all over them. You know, whether they're at this point, whether they're they've got the technique or not, they're going to have value in the league because uh, that's how everybody else looks at it, too. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure how much longer you want to keep going on. I'm fine to keep going, but I know we're running a little long here. One more thing I would throw out and you might you might disagree with this. Um, okay. It's a little bit differentiating from your opinion of like, oh, I got to watch NFL tape a lot and kind of know what's in the league. I almost I'm not saying I won't watch it, um, but I'm a lot less okay, let me really grind it and try to see everything playing in the league right now. I know a lot of people try to do that like, as a refresher. My view of it is that you can almost treat draft value a lot of times as like a proxy, right? Like a guy that goes top 10 presumably goes top 10 because most of the teams in the league think, hey, this guy is worthy of this type of value that has a certain expected translation to the league, if that makes sense. Like you take a guy top five, you're assuming he's going to be an all pro. That's kind of just it has a direct translation going to the league. Even if you're not watching how the guy actually turns into in the league, you kind of knew what the expectation was. And right. I think if you were to look at college football as a whole or just through the entire pre-draft process, there are certain guys that meet those standards of like a Will Anderson. OK, super productive, good athlete, you know, checks all these other boxes. And you kind of know even without having to directly say this is what he's going to be in the NFL and be really specific about it, you can still know just based on his resume and all those checkboxes that he's going to be drafted within a certain range. And then that range kind of tells you how teams are most likely to view him. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So the reason that I spend the time going through the, the, the tape now, I will watch all 22. Uh, I don't watch NFL all 22 as much as I watch college but I will watch all 22. A lot of the stuff that I'm doing is on Sunday, getting a game day feel kind of that kind of stuff. When we get to the off season, there will be like one day a week that I'll sit down and I'll watch all 22. And I'll, that's all I'm doing that day is NFL all 22. 
um, the reason for that is projection. Because there are certain teams in the league that are going to take certain types of guys and understanding who those teams are and what those guys are that they're looking for. That's what I'm like. Detroit is a great example right now of a team that's just going to take good guys regardless of where the rest of the league might have them, you know, and they've had real success doing it too. Aiden Hutchinson has been a really good hit for them. Second overall, granted he was probably going to go that high, whether they were picking or not, he was going to go up in that top 10 range, but they took him to second perfect hit. And then you look at this class, Jameer Gibbs at 12. Yeah, Gibbs was going to go that high. You know, there was teams lined up behind him that were hoping the Lions weren't going to take him there, <laughs> and they did because they were going to take him. But uh, Jack Campbell right after that, nobody was going to take Jack Campbell before probably 25th overall. And they went ahead and jumped and took him there. And the reason for that is because, they, you know, we, and Justin mentioned him earlier, he fits their scheme perfectly in their culture. So... Pittsburgh's another team that's like that. Usually New England is a team that's like that. You know, there are certain, there's a bunch of teams that are in the league that they're going to take certain types of guys. And so that helps me with my projection because when I'm looking at the rosters, you know, ahead of the draft going, okay, here's where this guy could potentially go because he fits what this team needs. It's a, it's a, it's something that they're looking for. It's a spot on the roster that they're going to need to fill. You know, whether that's a backup, whether that's a starting role, I don't care. It's a spot that that's it's gonna fill. So that puts that helps my projection going forward with that. The other thing too is offensive I brought up the offensive line deal because, you know, first off, we haven't done an offensive line episode yet. That's gonna be something that we'll do probably in the off season once we get past this draft year. Um and go through the different positions and tackle, guard, center, all that. But the big thing there with uh, with, with all, and the reason I just brought up the offensive lineman specifically is because that's the biggest, to me, the biggest key dependent position on what teams are looking for specifically. I think that there's a lot of flexibility with running backs. There's a lot of flexibility with wide receivers. There's a lot of flexibility with defensive backs and linebackers and even defensive linemen. You know, because there's so many different ways that you can scheme them and different ways that you, different places you can put them and different stunts you can run, different routes, different concepts. Whereas on the offensive line, there's not that many different ways to play offensive linemen in the sense of in the grant compared to other positions. There, it's, it's a more meat and potatoes position, keep things simple. You know, the, the extravagant stuff is, what you see San Francisco doing, pulling people and having Trent Williams who can do anything basically and, and floating, you know, different concepts like that. You know, Miami does it a lot too, which is, you know, where San Francisco got it from Mike McDaniel. Um, but it's the offensive line is it's also, it's the heart of the team and it's a, it's a high priority position group. So, you know, first couple rounds of the draft, if you've got a hole there and there's a guy that fits what that team is looking for, 90% of the time, they're going to take it. They're going to take them there. And that, so that helps my projection. And, you know, that's why I, that's why I spend the time looking at figuring out what they're doing schematically. It also helps me because 
on the back end, how many teams are legitimately going to be interested in this quarterback or this wide receiver or this offensive lineman or this edge rusher because he's fitting what they want to do. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, Isaiah Foskey is a guy I liked a couple years ago out of Notre Dame. I really liked Foskey. And he... I think if he had come out 10 years earlier when there were still a lot of teams that were running three, four fronts, three, four bases, he would have been a first round pick. And my projection hadn't, you know, adjusted to that yet. And so he's got a first round grade from me. And I'm thinking, yeah, you can plug him in here. You can plug him into all these different things. Da, da, da. And no, he went to Chicago. He hasn't played a lot. He hasn't been productive. You know, so the whole point of me bringing up the why I watch the NFL and all that is because that's where I got that from is going, if I'm not understanding what the league is doing, I can't properly project a lot of these guys that I'm looking at because that's a huge part of projection is they got to have a spot. They got to have a role. And if 90% of the teams right now are running four man fronts, those three man front guys, those three front, those three man front guys, those outside linebackers, those edge rushers that can't put their hand in the dirt, they don't have a spot anymore. Yeah, unless they're just truly elite. Yeah, no, that's an interesting review, and I think the thing that always gets me is like, there's a couple, there's actually a couple things I thought were pretty interesting in here. One is this idea of like this, I guess you could call it macro versus micro kind of approach to it. So like, micro would be viewing any one individual team and what are their preferences and what are their needs and like what types of guys would they be interested in and trying to project wh who they might want mm -hmm. is vastly different from trying to do the macro projecting like across the league all 32 what is most popular there you know what i'm saying so i think it's interesting to compare those two levels um and then also going to like teams valuing guys more than others for instance like you mentioned detroit i think it's interesting from the standpoint of like there's this idea in uh, complexity science called emergence, which is essentially that you can take all these like a uh, system and the, the overall system shows properties that aren't necessarily uh, explainable by any of the in individual pieces, if that makes sense. So like you could look at like, let's say the lion's defense, they take Jack Campbell. Does he add an element beyond like just his own physical ability beyond his own tools? Like, does he give something to that defense that kind of elevates everything around him? If that makes sense. Um, so I think mm -hmm. trying to apply those ideas is interesting in terms of how you view, like, I guess the difference in like value for like what Campbell would give to the lions versus what he would give to another team. Let's say, does that make sense? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't know if that's there's anything more beyond that. Like I think emergence is a whole different topic that we'd have to cover in more in depth and, and it kind spend of a lot of time thing. on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we could spend a lot of time that's, on that. It's, that's where my brain was going. Topic. It's like I don't yeah. I don't think we can fit yeah. that in tonight. Um it's it's a pretty no. I'd want to do some more homework on that, I'll be honest. I have a decent understanding of it now, but I'd want to really, really do my homework and have some corpus prepared for that. <laughs> Let's what that might that would be a good topic to get into. And so next week, just to preview next week, we are being joined by an end of twenty twenty four NFL draft prospect um, John Morgan out of Arkansas is currently slated to join us next week on the show. Um, I think it's going to be a really good interview and you know, because I talked to him about the different stuff that we do on the show and why it's different from others. Um, 
and I think he's going to be a really good fit for what we want to get into on the defensive line. So John Morgan will be joining us out here next week on the show. Really excited to have our first 2024 prospect on here. I'm sure he will not be the only one. He'll be the first of many that we'll have through, you know, this season. But that's gonna. I think that's about gonna do it. You got anything else you want to throw out before we wrap this up? Um, not really. Other than I'm just excited to come up with some questions for John Morgan. I was thinking about it uh, earlier today when I was driving home. Like, dang, what are what I want to ask him? What kinds of questions do I think would be a good thing to approach him with? Oh yeah, no, he's going to be a good one, man. He's going to be a really good one. I'm excited about this one. So, well, Justin already, he bounced. So for Justin, for Mark, I'm John. Join us next week right here on the show. Listening to John Morgan and Shane, go ahead and get us out of here. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the sick podcast with draft Vogel on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts.